Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice. Uh, it has been said, mainly on this podcast and a few other places, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are so many great games out there that we can be playing right now that take up all of our hobby attention, all of our hobby dollars, and all of our hobby minutes, which is sometimes more precious than money, it seems. Um, there are just too many things to do, too many great things to play, too many great uh, you know, people to play with. And so Cast Dice is a podcast that sort of explores the gaming industry as a whole and the games that we play that interest us. Uh, every episode, I try and bring on some interesting guests from around the world to talk about, you know, exciting things that may be happening in the gaming industry or, you know, talk about games that people are excited about playing, which I kind of just said twice. But this is one of those podcasts that I, this particular episode, that I really enjoy. So I'm a fan of uh, many things, uh, but one of the things that I'm a huge fan of is, as has been said on this podcast, putting beautiful models on beautiful tables to play miniature war games. Um, I love having a uh, a table of with beautiful buildings, hills, trees. I, it's it's part of the immersive experience for me. And tonight we are going to talk to. One of the organizations, a couple of gentlemen from one of my favorite terrain companies. Now, if you are Australian, you will definitely know these guys from big events. They travel around. Their stuff is all over Facebook. Um, they've been doing some really exciting stuff with Star Wars Legion recently. But they've done great terrain for Bolt Action, for Infinity. God, man, it, there's, there's even an awesome post post-apocalyptic range that I've been looking at for Gaslands. So I think uh, I've been le leading these guys uh, hang out in the ether too long. Let me introduce uh, Viv and Scott from Knights of Dice. Gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice. G'day, Brad. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Mate, uh, I, don't, I don't know where to begin. We have been uh, talking about and looking at your terrain online and on tabletops for years now. Um, Viv, I think you started the company initially. Would you like to talk to us a little bit about how Knights of Dice came into being? Because I know there's a little bit of a, a history um, as to how everything sort of fell into place. Yeah, it... it, it... It happened by accident, honestly, I have to tell the truth. You know, Knights of Dice originally was supposed to be a retail store after I closed my, my, my original one, Battle Bunker. Mm -hmm. A couple of years later, I got very bored, and I thought I want to get back into this industry. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, registered Knights of Dice. I actually had a competition. You know, we built a web page, launched that worldwide, used nice. my YouTube channel, Rubbish In, Rubbish Out, to get submissions for what should I call my game store. I think I called it namemygamestore.com. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Knights of Dice was the name that was chosen. I did a couple of years building commission sceneries for people, and mm -hmm. uh, then I bought a laser cutter, a cheap, crappy Chinese laser cutter off eBay to, uh, you know, help me cut out, you know, windows and doors and, you know, all the tedious, annoying mm -hmm. things that you, know, you just don't want to build by hand. You know, I'm very much the same as you, Brad. I, I want my table to look great. And, you know, it's 80% of what you see when you're looking at a game that uh, I thought, look, let me get a laser cutter. I can start cutting out bits and pieces. It'll make the commission process a lot easier. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, we just sort of things, you know, skyrocketed from there. You know, I get out of control uh, with my hobbies fairly seriously. And um, uh, as evidenced by all this crazy audio equipment that we're surrounded with that's just collecting dust. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, when we went looking for mics and stuff, you know, the different boxes of stuff. 
Um, you know, you know, and then uh, Alan. I don't know if you know Alan from House of War. I'm sure you do. Oh yeah. He he contacted me and said, "I oh, you've just bought a laser cutter, Viv. Can you make some buildings for a shop that we're opening? Mm-hmm. This was when uh, House of War was originally opening." And uh, I said, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" I got hold of Scott. Scott used to work for me at the bunker. He's a graphic mm-hmm. designer. You know, built a lot of the commission stuff when I when I was running the bunker. And I said, "Hey, you want to help me make some buildings?" And we made a few buildings. And I said, "We could probably do this." And um. And then, yeah, I got hold of Trotec. We use machines from Trotec. They're an Austrian company. They're stupidly expensive machines. Mm-hmm. And um, I told my wife, oh, I want to start doing this. And she said, how much do the machines cost? And I said, X, Y, Z. And she was like, that's ridiculous. How many do you need? <laughs> and uh, I said, two. She's like, all right, get them. And I almost fell on the floor, Brad. It was um, it was amazing. Anyway, we got those two machines and, you know, we started. Mm-hmm. Now, all of this happened in the space of about three weeks. Yeah, oh. it was very quick. Wow. Yeah. yeah. From from sort of three and a half grand on eBay to you know quarter of a million dollars, um, and yeah, like yeah, I said, sort of, you know my hobbies get out of control real quick. Um, and yeah, so, you dodged in the deep end a little bit, <laughs> and so that's that's where we are. That's where Knights of Dice came from. You know, that's the the short form. Mm. Um, but it, you know, it's great fun. I, you know, I really love what we do every day. You know, I wake up every morning and looking forward to come to work. You know, it's the first time that I've felt like that for a long time. That's the first time I've ever felt like that. <laughs> Amen to that, man. Well, mate, that, that's crazy because I'm a man who's known for, um, I guess, being a little crazy with my hobby and a little over the top, but you uh, put me to shame. That's uh, pretty impressive. It's, it's easy to do in this, in this hobby to get carried away, and then you know, when you start adding laser cutters in, things get crazy. Oh, I hear that. So I guess let's talk about the actual process then um, because – there's just so many crazy designs, and I mean crazy as in intricate and detailed. Um, the buildings that you've made, especially for the Infinity uh, and the um, Legion, the Star Wars Legion lines, uh, Sandport Hydra, and the Infinity range is escaping me. Um, just, Neo-Century. Yes. Yeah, Neo-Century. Neo-Century. It's so intricate and so detailed, um, and just the way, having put together many of your Sandport Hydra buildings... Um, the way things slide together um, clearly has taken a lot of thought. Um, Scott or Viv, would you like to talk about how the design process sort of comes into play so that that's able to happen? I'll, I'll let Scott deal with this because, you know, he does all the high-quality stuff. So back when I used to work for Viv at the, at the Battle Bunker, when we had, he had the retail store, we we're, we're both always very terrain focused. I think that's sort of that's kind of how we became friends. I found his YouTube channel and I was like, this is cool. This guy's building heaps of terrain. Mm-hmm. Went around to the store and then hung out and stuff. Um, so back then uh, we, we were doing a lot of scratch builds and stuff, and and I would always just go nuts with the detail. Mm-hmm. And Viv would sort of be like, just get that finished, and I'd spend forever, you know, put <laughs> gluing little pieces on mm-hmm. or cutting out all these little shapes and stuff. Um, because I love nice terrain, and I think it's uh, uh, I mean, it's a little different now because there's a lot of stuff out there that that is really easy and cheap, especially with laser cut stuff that you can just put together and slap on the table. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's it's it it can be a neglected part of the hobby, and and I mean, it's it should be as important as the figures because you want to you know to, you want to immerse yourself in the game and. Definitely. Setting up a scene that sort of uh, it, it really helps and it makes it a lot more fun, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, 
I've always been detail focused with terrain. So the laser cutter just, you know, is, is great for that because it'll just handle it like no, no problem. Mm-hmm. Viva always kind of has to rein me in a little bit sometimes. Um, you know, when you, when you, when you're designing things, you know, like in Illustrator or in, 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 in SketchUp, the 3D CAD program we use, mm-hmm. and I look across on my monitor and I see Scott zoomed in like a thousand times. <laughs> um, I'm like, what are you doing in there? No one's going to be able to see that. And he's like, it matters. It matters. It does. Each piece is as important as each little square millimeter is as, as important as the last one. Um, but that being said, I like putting a lot of detail in, but I also don't want the kit to take, you know, hours and hours to put together. Right. So I do, I do, I do think very, um, very long and hard about how the kit will go together and, and trying to make it as easy as possible uh, and trying to use a lot of little visual shortcuts and stuff that make the model look more complicated than it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so we try and sort of uh, keep it, sort of simple-ish to assemble while still looking quite complex. Yeah. What I what I found was really effective when I was putting together a lot of the Sandport Hydra stuff, I looked at it thinking, man, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this. Um, but they went together really quickly, um, especially compared to what I expected. Uh, and I'm not a fast assembler or painter of anything. Um, but as I was putting them together, what made them look complex, and I realized this after putting together the first building, is that it's a very simple shape, typically, but it's very cleverly layered. Um, so you take, mm-hmm. and because of the way things are laid out um, on the sheets when you pull them out of the pack, you just pop out the actual um, shapes. It takes very little you know, cleaning up afterward, which, believe me, having put together some other companies' stuff, I appreciated. Um, and then it was a, just a simple matter of, oh, this goes here, this goes here, this goes here. Okay, cool. Next layer. This one goes on top of that one. This one goes on top of that one. This one goes on top of that one. But you can see... You know, because the second one that you put on top is smaller than the first one, and then you put another one on top of that. And by simply having those multiple layers, um, you create the detail and the depth on the model that doesn't just make it look like, you know, oh, look, here's a cube on my tabletop, um, which is huge. Yeah, well, that's a, that's, I think that's a, a, a good way of approaching it from, you know, the limitations of, of the, the medium of it being laser cut is mm. it's it's flat plane so if you can sort of use those to your advantage mm-hmm. um that's great the other thing is with doing layers like that uh, and and we purposely do this you get it's good to give lots of edges and stuff for you know the typical um dry brushing and mm-hmm. stuff for your paint to catch on those edges rather than just trying to etch a bunch of detail into a flat wall totally. which Again, is like one of the limitations. You can only get so deep with that on a laser cutter. So if you put enough detail on with, you know, edges and different planes and stuff, that will catch the paint. Um, then it makes for a nicer model, I think. It also makes for a very nicely robust um, and reinforced model. Having, um, you know, ha- having, I'm not... The- I store my stuff in a closet, so it's all neatly packed in boxes. But those boxes get bumped around, um, especially when I'm transporting them to events. And then, you know, people are playing with them, just having models moving around them. Um, And sometimes they get bumped on tables and maybe off tables. I've got to say that 
I'm really impressed with the durability of the models that you guys um, provide. I dropped one of my Samport Hydra t- um, buildings off of my dining room table onto a hardwood floor, and I dinged a corner. But it was it. I I have literally dropped other things that have gone to pieces, and you know I literally looked at this and I had to look hard to find a dented corner. And when I mean a dented corner, I mean it's like a millimeter that I shaved off with the hobby blade and then it looked perfect and went, wow, that's sturdy. Um, so yeah, I think that's just a, a really nice side effect. Yeah. That, that, that is one thing that we try to keep in mind as well is, you, you know, on some of our kits, I know there are some components which could probably be stronger. Um, but it, it's important that the model looks good. It, it goes together quickly, but it's also durable. Like most of our stuff here in the studio, it goes in tubs. Those tubs get taken to, you know, half a dozen events a year. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we do get things, you know, that we that we damage. That's mostly because, you know, we don't assemble things properly. Yeah, <laughs> well, we're not super careful with um, <laughs> you putting but, them away. Yeah, we, we want the models to be strong. I mean, it, it, things are going to break if, you know, you don't treat them properly or, or you know, you know right. ac- ac- accidents do happen. Mm. But, uh, you know, a lot of those, a lot of other kits that we have in the studio here, you know, from our time before Knights of Dice, you know, they're wonderful kits, but, you know, there's there's just connection points that could be stronger. Mm-hmm. The material makes a difference. You know, we use a lot of 3 mil MDF. Um, that that gives us our structural stability. Mm-hmm. We use a lot of 1.8 mil MDF for detailing and stuff like that. As you said, by the time you build up all these layers, you know, you end up with something that in some cases is almost a centimeter thick. Um, yeah. You know, that, that, that just adds to the heft and the weight. And you can feel that in the sample hydro range specifically. Oh God, can you? It's it's very sturdy and it's heavy um, in a good way. It just it has that heft to it that you know it's quality. Um, I was right before I built that. I was building a table for bolt action that was a, a Shinto shrine. So it was a lot of um, almost medieval looking Japanese buildings, um, and it was by another company. And I, after putting the first one together, it almost fell apart using PVA. So I actually had to go back and reinforce every join inside with extra bits from the sprue to double reinforce every single edge where the two the two planes met so to speak Um, and i was expecting to do that with the sandport hydra stuff and i started doing it on the first building and by the time i got to that second layer on the outside i went this thing isn't going anywhere i don't know why i'm bothering with this (laughs) and i put together the rest of them just like that and had no problems whatsoever and went yep yeah, this is the difference of quality. Um, the other one was cheap. This one, uh, yeah, solid. Yeah. And for talking about cheap versus um, quality, your guys' stuff isn't, you know, it isn't GW priced pointed above, you know, people often say, oh, Games Workshop's the highest price, but it's the highest quality. Your guys' stuff is top-line quality without that crazy price tag attached to it. So um, as a gamer, I really appreciate that. Yeah, cheers. I mean, that, that that's something that I try to keep in mind from you know from a commercial perspective or from a business perspective. You know, there are great kits out there, and yeah. um, you know, whilst the process of laser cutting can be you know expensive, um, there's no reason why our models have to be expensive, especially with the way that Scott designs models. Mm. Um, and you know, the layering that you spoke about and that Scott spoke about really helps with that, because you know we don't have to cut you know, hundreds and hundreds of tiny pieces right. to, 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 you know, build a facade. You know, the facades are one or two pieces. Um, you know, that cuts down on laser time um, mm-hmm. and, I mean, yeah. and it helps control cost. I mean, the other thing is that because we have such good equipment, our lasers are very fast. 
compared to maybe cheaper machines. Mm-hmm. So because of our kits are based, our pricing is mostly based around laser time, we can sort of churn out kits a lot quicker than if we had sort of lesser equipment. Nice. Well, let's talk about, um, while we're talking price, you guys have an alternate sort of range within your range um, called Tabla Rasa. Um, Before I get into my experiences with it, why don't you tell us a little bit about how it differs from your regular range of terrain? I'll take this one because <laughs> Scott, Scott hates the Tabula Rasa stuff. Uh, I, don't, I don't hate it. I just uh, It's not it. the most interesting thing just to work it. on. Just admit it. <laughs> Look, the reason why we have that Tabula Rasa range is for two reasons. One, and, I, and I'll, I'll explain the differences between the two in just a second, Brett. Mm. One, you know, I, I wanted to have a budget option for those people and for clubs specifically mm-hmm. that, that, you know, don't want to spend huge amounts of money. You know, some of our kits, you know, I think are really well priced. Yeah. Some of them I'd love to make cheaper, but, you know, it's just not possible. Right. Um, so I can combat that by making a budget range of terrain. Now, I say that Scott hates it because, you know, in the beginning when, you know, I think the, the, the desert buildings were the first Tabula Raza kits we released. Yeah, they, they were. were. Yep. Scott was like, these are rubbish, man. No one's going to buy these. You know, I just don't want to do them. I don't want to design them. And uh, <laughs> And so aside from the budget, you know, perspective – that was the second part. You know, I, I'm not a graphic designer. I had very little experience with Illustrator. Um, you know, I was just the facilitator of things here more really than anything else. Mm-hmm. That that doing the Tabula Raza buildings was a great entry point for me to start, you know, designing some kits and putting some, th- some things together. Um, so from that budget perspective and from me, you know, being able to design some kits because, you know, Scott didn't want to do them, um, led to the Tabula Raza. Now, you know, obviously, if, if you look at any of the images on the website, the, the biggest difference is the Tabula Raza buildings are generally a single piece of 3 mil MDF mm-hmm. and in, in some sort of variation of box form. Right. Um, that, and then, you know, that allows scratch builders to, you know, go nuts, add all their extra detail. Mm-hmm. It allows those clubs that just want something that's simple that they can, you know, smack out 20 buildings on a weekend at a, at a, at a you know, a, a painting bee or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a, you know, a flexible option for those people who, you know, don't want to cut out windows and doors and measure 22 millimeters from the bottom of the foam core up and then draw a square and cut that out and then do that 20 times and then fold that and cut it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just the option for those people who want something simple, who, who might want to add extra detail to it out of their bits box. Um, and we tried to keep them, most of them generic. Like I've seen people use those uh, desert buildings. And, you know, I just called them desert buildings because, you know, that's what they kind of look like, little mm-hmm. adobe huts. But I've seen people do all sorts of stuff with those ranges, everywhere from, you know, um, you know, medieval Greece mm-hmm. to, you know, obviously the Afghan deserts mm-hmm. to, you know, sci-fi huts. And, you know, it's always wonderful when we get images from people either on our Facebook or via email or message or whatever saying, hey, this is what I did with your kits. Because it's exactly what it's designed for. It's just a starting point, a shell. That's why we call it Tabula Raza, which is blank, um, blank slate. Blank slate is, is right. Latin for blank slate. Yeah. yeah since, oh, sorry. So sorry, you know, you go ahead. Oh, uh, I was going to say, yeah, we've seen some pretty incredible things that people have done with the desert buildings. Um, it's just nuts. We see they pop up everywhere and there's like all kinds of variations. It's really cool. So I was very wrong about that range. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I'm happy to admit it because it's been uh, it's been really good. Um, but the other the other thing is we're we're kind of ex- going to expand the scope of that range shortly. To um, Viv's Viv's been working on some really really cool 
modern apartment buildings that are massive oh. and they're like very complex shapes. Mm-hmm. So, but there's like very minimal detailing on them. So that's the other thing we're going to start using the Tabula Rasa range for. It's like big, impressive things that have complex shapes that don't have a lot of detailing. So they're still affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, these things look great. It's done oh, really, three uh, or four of them. They look really, really cool. I've been, really been enjoying working on those. You know, that, that's the other thing, you know, as we've progressed when we first started with the Century City range of buildings, you know, they were just squares, boxes, rectangles. Yeah. And then, you know, as we progressed and, you know, as people gave us feedback and as, you know, we learned more about the process, um, you know, we've tried to steer away from just doing those sorts of square box shapes. You know, it's, it's, it's better to have, you know, building that's got, you know, some slightly irregular shape to it. So you can get miniatures in and around the building. Exactly. Ra- rather than just sort of, you know, peering around the corner. You can peer around a corner, run around a small little gap, peer around another corner. Mm. Yeah, that's something that we've consciously been doing maybe for like quite a while now but is is to make the the buildings uh more interesting from a gameplay perspective so adding balconies and staircases and little nooks and crannies where we can so that they're you know a bit more appealing to play on i mean mostly yeah so you'll see you'll see a lot more of that stuff coming out in uh, tabula rasa we've probably got about um you know 20 models coming out soon for the tabula rasa range oh fantastic um, across a you know a whole bunch of different sorts of styles, but mm. you know again that that simple sort of um, you know that budget focus sort of single sided you know shell building that people can add to. Yeah, I I've always been looking for so I build World War II terrain as you know because I run a lot of bolt action events or I did and I'm hoping to in the future. And one of the things um, that I really wanted to do was a sort of an Eastern Front village, um, mm. and I was um, a friend of mine pointed out that hey. Have you looked at Knights of Dice Tabula Rasa range? And I said, no, no, I've seen the desert buildings. I've seen the block buildings. No, that, that isn't the Eastern Front thing. And went, no, 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 there's a village range now. And sure enough, I looked, and there it was. And um, you guys have three separate, they're called village residents. There's village residents one, two, and three. And I picked up, I think, six of them for less than 90 bucks. Um, now, I'm going to say that again. That's six for less than 90 bucks Australian. Now, um, if you buy a lot of MDF terrain from certain companies, um, a lot of the times in the UK, um, you'll spend like easy 90 bucks on maybe two buildings. But I got an entire village worth of, um, you know, these these residences. uh, And, you know, they aren't just square boxes. Sure, they're the basic Monopoly house shape. Um, if you know, with a little triangular roof on a cube, but then they have sort of the, the banding around the windows, um, and along the walls going down and, you know, some simple V's along the roof that add a huge amount of detail. And the only thing that was quote unquote missing from these things, um, cause I wanted to have thatch roofs cause they come with the base wood, uh, roof was I, I cut strips of literally a $2, um, hand towel and I used PVA and I glued them to the roof and then I, you know, painted PVA on, let it dry, sprayed it. And all of a sudden I had some of the best buildings I have on my bolt action tables that I was able to get for literally $92, I think, and not including the cost of the PVA. And I was astonished that that could happen. And I was able to paint all six of them in a matter of days. And again, for me, 
that's saying something. And um, it was just really awesome. And I loved it. And as you said, you can add to it. Because I was thinking, well, in bolt action, you need extra windows on the sides of the buildings. And these have windows on the front and the back, but not on the sides. So I made little shutters and stuck them on the side and painted a little wood paneling on it. Took me an extra maybe 10 minutes for all the buildings combined. And shazam, I had perfect eastern front buildings. And I was, it was, I was blown away. And people um, still, I, I played on that table just a week or two ago. And people came up and they kept going, oh, where'd you get those buildings? And I went, cheapest buildings you've ever seen. And they're amazing. And they're local. And you got to check it out. And it was just great. Um, so, uh, yeah, the Tabula Rasa range, man, is, it's awesome. I'm a big fan. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Yeah, those those buildings I was following along on Facebook, they do look awesome. They look great. You know, the the, the roofing styles and you you said that you used some towel. You know, I've I've used teddy bear fur, I've used yeah. bits of cardboard, you know, you know, sit there for hours. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably should have done it on the lasers, but um sat there for hours cutting up tiny little shingles, gluing them to the mm-hmm. roofs. You know, you, that's what they, exactly what that range is for for people to do, you know, that type of stuff too. Yeah, it was just awesome, and it just—it's perfect. And again, it's got the durability of your other stuff, so that you know it, it slides together well. The joins are very neat, and so you don't have gaps. It isn't wonky. It's very sturdily built, and it packs up in a box like a treat. So yeah, man, I'm gotta say, big fan, big fan. We actually have some more of the village buildings um, coming out for that sub range. So we got some like. Double story ones and sort of bigger ones. That... Yeah, little tavern sort of buildings. And... Yeah. Mm. Oh, my village is about to get way more interesting. This is this is fantastic news. That's yeah, good fun. I'd love. I would love to do something specific for the Eastern Front and something specific for the Italian Peninsula. I think Brad, I've spoken to you about this in the past. Yes. Um, you know, they're, they're the two theaters that uh, everyone says that we should be doing. Obviously. Mm-hmm. You- Every man and his dog uh, who's got a laser cutter does something for Normandy. Yeah, you know, including us. <laughs> including us, you know, yeah. it was the first range. It's probably the most recognizable theater in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's so many people out there that have been asking us for, you know, you know, Eastern Front, for Italian Peninsula. And I've probably been saying for more than a year now that um, the Italian Peninsula is the next one. Oh, um, I can't wait. That'll be awesome. But seriously, ta- uh, you boys need to let me know when that Tabula Rasa stuff comes out because I need a tavern in my town. Awesome. Well, like you said at the very beginning of the show, hopefully it'll be all over Facebook. Oh, it definitely will. Um, Now, okay, so Italian Peninsula, what kind of things would you look to do, or is it still in the uh, spitballing phase? More in the spitballing phase. Yeah, probably four or five months ago, you know, you you asked Scott earlier on in the show about the design process or a little bit about the design process. Yeah. You know, for ranges like this that are, you know, semi-historical or, you know, mostly historical. Mm Mm-hmm. Excuse me, we start with a whole bunch of reference stuff and we did capture a whole bunch or, or you know, went fishing for a, yeah, we got folders a, a, and folders a, a and whole stuff. bunch of, uh, you know, images off Google and pictures and drawings and, um, you know, inspiration sort of references, you know, probably four or five, six months back. I, I think we probably started on a few models, but then, you know, got sidetracked because, you know, some other cool new game came out. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you said, there's just way too much. There's just way too much for us. You know, there's there's too many games. There's mm-hmm. too many scales. There's too many genres. And you know, as a gamer, I want it all. Amen. <laughs> um, so you know, I'm still, we're sitting here in the meeting room in our library, and I'm just surrounded by you know boxes of you know different sorts of genres that you know it's it's hard to uh, you know 
keep our focus on something specific. And, and like I said to you before the show, you know, uh, we're very disjointed, or at least I am, in, you know, what I do with my hobby, and that's certainly reflected in how we plan our ranges here at Night to Dice. Yeah. A couple of guys with ADD <laughs> trying to sort of keep, keep a business on a straight line is, uh, is a little bit difficult sometimes. Well, there you go. As it's as a guy who's podcasting with ADD, with two guys who are podcasting or you know talking with ADD, this uh, this should be a fun conversation for the the cats at home to try and follow. It's like herding kittens. Well, as I said, one of the things that I love that you guys uh, do is, I mean, we've mentioned it many many times at this point, is the Sandport Hydra range. Now, clearly. Um, I mean, it, it's even labeled on your website as a subsection of your Neo Century stuff. And while it, it probably started as something for perhaps Infinity, uh, it I think it very quickly fell into Star Wars Legion. And you guys have definitely been adding to that with the defense tower, the landing platform, um, the hover cargo holder, and all the buildings that look like they belong on Tatooine. Um, did that, I guess that was an intentional design choice. I mean, you guys knew that Legion was coming. How much did you cater to that right off the bat? And how much was it sort of realizing that you had something that was already good for this and playing to a new audience? Well, the, uh, we got excited about the Legion announcement because like every other nerd on the planet, we love Star Wars. Oh yeah. And, uh, it's, it's sort of the, the dream war game sci-fi mm-hmm. war game in a lot of ways like a real star wars tabletop game um so i mean a lot of what we do is start playing a game and get excited about it and want some terrain to use for ourselves and that turns into a range yeah um that's yeah. happened with that's, most of our ranges pretty much what yeah. all the ranges are for okay you know like 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 we said you know i'm playing in that bolt action event this weekend you know, when I first started playing bolt action a couple of years ago, I thought, I want some terrain for this. So we did the Letters Home Normandy range. Mm-hmm. This range from the very beginning, you know, was, you know, specifically intended for this game. Okay, cool. I, I, I guess you could say it's, it's probably the first real commercial decision, you know, that I've made um, <laughs> yes. here at, night, at Knights of Dice. There's been a lot of boats. There's been a lot of boats. Um, and, you know, we just have, haven't jumped on them. Like, you know, there was, you know, when Test of Honor was released uh, probably about a year ago now, mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody was doing, you know, Japanese and mm-hmm. Asian themed terrain. You know, there was a, there was, you know, not a boat, but an armada of, of, of activity. There. Yeah. It just didn't interest me. From a perspective, I probably should have decided or made the decision, hey, listen, we should jump on this bandwagon. But it didn't interest me, so we didn't do anything about it. Right. But Sandport Hydra, on the other hand, I'm like, oh, I was going to say as a commercial decision, but, you know, I'm just about to say, you know, I'm super interested in Star Wars, so we made a range of buildings for it, which is exactly the same as why we have all the other buildings. But, um, you know, the the decision to do that, you know, was, you know, a no-brainer, a no-brainer. And, you know, Scott had the idea, listen, we've already got these little desert buildings um, from all the Raza range. You know, if you look at those two buildings, uh, all the original five shacks from Sandport Hydra, mm. they are the buildings from the tabula rasa range which we've jazzed up yeah slightly redesigned and then uh with a bunch more detail added onto them nice yeah i i I was looking at those when i first got in and went yeah those are awesome i'm gonna get some of those and then literally next to it in the shop was the off-site headquarter unit and um i think it was sort of your second run of buildings for that uh and it just it looks so good and went okay 
Uh, these other things are cheaper and they look great, but oh my God, the uh, the Cyclops security stuff, that has got to happen on my table right now. And it is, and yeah, it, it's what we were talking about before with that layered terrain. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just, it scratched all those itches. And you guys just sort of dropped wave three on, uh, on us a little while ago. So we have some of the moisture evaporators, the cargo platform, um, the cargo hauler and the turret and a whole bunch of other stuff that makes things that were already Star Warsy even more Star Warsy. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's something that with this range, something that we do with all of our ranges is um, kind of pride, try to pride ourselves on um, our originality a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, if you're, we're doing something that is going to work for Star Wars Legion. Uh, that t- every temptation is there is to just copy things straight out of the movie, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's not very satisfying as a designer to mm-hmm. do things like that, uh, at least personally. Um, and also, every man and his dog is with a laser cutter is, is doing that kind of thing, right? Like, yeah. that, that's, you know, I don't know how many Endor bunkers I've seen. Uh, that's, you know, they look great, and it's a great classic design, but... Uh, that you can then get them from everywhere. So something yeah. tried to do with the sample hydro range is make it look Star Warsy, mm-hmm. but not so beholden to exactly what you see on the screen. So it'll it'll fit in that world, um, but you can use it, you know, for other sci-fi stuff too because it's kind of a, a bit more generic. Um, Absolutely. Just sort of take motifs and sort of the feel of of Star Wars rather than just uh, aping what we've seen. Yeah, more more an, an homage to the to 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 the films or the then, universe. Yeah, yeah, then 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 a copy of it, much like you know the original names for the uh, a lot of the original Century uh, City buildings. Mm. They're, they're named after you know designers and and artists from writers. Yeah, from the, they've worked on Batman because we were doing it for the Batman game. Yeah, so. yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I I love how although you have your own sort of take on it, you you make um they I mean things look original, but you also make accessories that fit with them. And I mean, as you're talking about the Batman terrain, I know that you guys made a ladder pack at one point that is supposed to just slot onto a lot of your buildings. Well, given that ladders actually have a pretty big impact on Star Wars Legion, uh, one of the first things I bought when I was buying my terrain was a pack of your ladders um, to match those the terrain, which worked perfectly. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, well, I know, I, I, I know that uh, the Sandport Shacks, I think, all include ladders with the kits. Um, the Cyclops security stuff a bit less so because they all have those angled walls. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something we should probably do. Mm. <laughs> right on the board, Viv. Um, <laughs> Where? But yeah, most of our newer kits uh, all have sort of ladders or stairs or, or other things to allow miniatures to access the, the upper levels. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something we think about. Definitely. Well, do you guys have anything else? I know, I know I've had a few people asking me... Um, do you have anything else coming up for Sandport Hydra that you're going to want to talk about? Because a lot of people who love Legion are listening to this podcast right now. Yeah, I think we're probably going to expand the Cyclops security buildings and do sort of some bigger stuff, some bigger bunkers, some like uh, more sort of interesting shapes mm-hmm. in I that d- range. I do want to mention the widgets that we've been working oh, on. Oh, yeah, that stuff, yeah. 
but you know, I probably, I'm, I'm not sure if I should, but I guess it's too late now. Yeah, I was um, going to say, yeah. you've already said it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we keep on showing on Facebook, you know, the, the 3D work that we've been doing um, and, the, you know, the printed components and the resin casting stuff that we want to do. Um, that, but, you know, we're, we're, still, we're still not there, but there's some cool stuff there. Like Scott made a, a cool, um, like, little uh, satellite dish, you mm-hmm. know, that's just packed full of detail. Made some awesome-looking crates that are just packed full of detail. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that you know, we're still learning. We're still playing. You know, we, you know, everything we do here at Knights of Dice is, you know, almost trial and error. Um, you know, you know, I learned to cast by trial and error, just, you know, burning oh, yeah, through sh- material. And- we should mention that the, the accessories Viv's talking about would be resin, not uh, MDF. Yeah, yeah, re- uh-huh. re- resin. So 3D printed uh, prototypes and then resin. Uh, so we're still coming to terms with our cleanup and molding process. It's not where we want it yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we could make molds tomorrow and just pump stuff out, but we pride ourselves on quality, so we're trying we can, to get it perfect. Yeah, we can get things better. We can get things better. You know, you know, 3D printing, you know, especially when you're talking about 3D printing masters for, for, for molding and casting, it's not, not just as simple as, you know, print it off and, you know, you're ready to go. There's, a, you know, a whole bunch of cleanup involved, and, you know, Scott and I have both been, you know, you know, detail-orientated perfectionists when it comes to terrain. You know, I, we can still get some of those things better, I think, yeah. before – before we take those to market, but that's certainly something coming up for uh, Sandport Hydro. Yeah, you know, it's been lot. in the pipeline for a long time, um, but you know, every time we come back to it, you know, there's never enough hours, Brad. There's never enough time. There's mm-hmm. not manpower, resources that you know. Every time we come back to it, you know, there's a surge of activity here in the studio, and then you know that slowly fades as we come to the realization of well, that experiment didn't work. That experiment didn't work. Again, let's spend another 25 hours printing stuff off, and you know, and then and try again, and then mm-hmm. we get different range or you know buy a new game that comes out and then we come back to it and like okay let's have a look at this stuff again and um you know i i really do want to move that forward it's just a matter of you know more trial and error more practice more learning Uh, that's the thing i mean we see just i mean i'm I'm literally scrolling through your website while we're talking and it is chocker block it is top to bottom filled with fantastic products everything from you know clear bases to um, you know, trays to put units on to countless buildings. Um, you have all sorts of chits and, um, you know, uh, markers for games that are made out of, um, uh, what is it, uh, acrylic. And and I'm looking at all of this stuff, and clearly that's all the stuff that has passed your um, quality check, so to speak. So it's it's awesome to see that, I mean, while you guys are really quality centric and may, you know, a lot of stuff, maybe not, we're not seeing it. Um, clearly you're, you're getting stuff that is done and you're getting it out to us, which <laughs> I really appreciate. Um, <laughs> but I, it, I think it also speaks volumes about the quality of your work. Um, I was watching a friend's Malifaux table a little while ago that had your Chinatown stuff on it and it was astonishing. Um, and you just look at it going, that's MDF. Um, yeah. I mean, everything down to the hawker stands to um, the little ramen shop. I and mean, you just look at it and the detail is so intricate. And you... Uh, I, One of my I, favorite models, that little ramen. Oh, it's so good. It's very popular. Yeah, yeah. I love the little... It's got a little chopping board in it, Brad, and a, and a little butcher's cleaver. Oh. Um, 
I, I think I uh, I think I designed that model where Viv was sick for a few days or something. No, I think I was away. I think I was in the UK when you designed that. You yeah. couldn't stop me from putting that much detail yeah, in there. Yeah, one of those chances yeah. where I couldn't say stop zooming in a thousand you know times. Scott, it doesn't need not, doesn't need to be that detailed. But now, that's, you know that makes yep. a difference. Well, there is something I want to ask because I do live in Melbourne CBD, which is uh, the central business district. For those who aren't familiar with the term. And I'm pretty sure I know where Dainty Seswan is. Um, <laughs> and I'm also pretty sure I know where uh, a couple of the other uh, buildings in this are. Not to say that they're the real buildings, but if you live close enough to, and I used to live above uh, Melbourne's Chinatown, you walk around going, I swear that's the Rainbow Karaoke Club. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's just that moment of, is that the real thing? Is who's inspiring who here? Um, <laughs> it, uh, you, yeah, you can visit the Rainbow Karaoke Club in Chinatown in Melbourne. Uh, Dainty Szechuan is on Lonsdale Street, um, and I highly recommend it. It's probably my favorite hot pot restaurant. I think, uh, that, I think that's why Melbourne. we named it. That's why it's got named it. There. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's it's obviously not the building, but right. um, you know, you know, uh, Scott and I are both big lovers of food, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we often talk about this. Scott goes away every year, well, mostly every year to you know somewhere in Asia, and. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't understand people who don't try food in the places that they're visiting and driving nuts. It's one of the best things about traveling. I mean. Amen. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's why, you know, we had the dainty sesh one because, you know, like Scott just said, you know, it's one of his favorite places for hot pot. Yeah. So, you know, why not put that into, you know, what we do every day? It's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. I, I do remember the first time in conversation because I actually had walked by it, a, a, to be honest, a bunch of times and hadn't made that connection. And then um, one of my friend's wives was over and we were talking about where she went out to dinner. And she was like, oh, I went to Dainty Szechuan. And I was sitting there going, that sounds really familiar. And I just can't put my finger on why. And then uh, just, you know, maybe a couple of days later, I was looking at your website and I went, that's why. That yeah. is why. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting to see because um, that for I know a lot of people who listen to this play bolt action um, and a couple of people who have, have started playing Chinese armies recently. Um, and that's sort of sort of sort of sort of China circa 1937 ish um, through 1945, um, you know, because the, the Japanese and the Chinese conflict in World War Two happened before World War Two, uh, yeah. at least it started there. And so that Chinatown range fits perfectly in with uh, with a lot of established, you know, maybe downtown building type buildings. Um, your Batman range, for example, um, if you took those buildings and inter you know interspiced spliced some of the Chinatown buildings, you would have a very effective downtown Shanghai circa 1937, maybe 1936, yeah, somewhere sure. in that. And it's it just it's astonishing how well it works um, just to have those that classic style of architecture and then giving it that Asian twist um, because Shanghai was called the Paris of the East at the time. Um, sure. Yeah, just it's awesome. So is, is, is there a, just a segue slightly, Brad? Is, is there a Chinese, a Chinese faction for bold action now? Is there? Yes, China, there China? is. Really? There has been for a few years. It's in the Empires in Flame book. Yep. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, long enough that I have had two Chinese armies, and it takes me forever to do anything. So <laughs> there you go. 
just to put a little bit of a spin on it. But yeah, no, um, the original Chinese, uh, yeah, it's actually an interesting list because you can take warlord Chinese, um, communist Chinese forces, or you can take um, nationalist Chinese as well. And it's three separate army lists within one army list. So it's, uh, it's, it's cool. It's a lot of fun. Oh, wow. Awesome. I'll have to have a look. Yeah. Um, there is actually a Chinese uh, player at uh, the event that we're playing in this weekend. Um, so this weekend, Viv and I are both registered to play in Operation Grief. Um, it is being uh, run by our old buddy, Lockie Mulcahy, um, one of my old 40K, or not 40K, uh, Warhammer Fantasy buddies, um, who has uh, been on the Bacon Burgers podcast for the last couple months. He's been one of the, the new recruits, and now he's running his first ever bolt action event. But um, yeah, he's uh, he's an old school gamer, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what he brings to the table. It's gonna be it's cool. A, such a fun game. I haven't played it. I've had one game of K47. You know, my which first I really game enjoyed. of Bolt Action yeah. was a tournament. Well, it's not. You know, they don't like to call them a tournament. So it was an event up yeah. at House of Four a couple years back. Mm-hmm. Game was amazing. I love. Yeah, it's good stuff. And uh, Scott, I know you were looking at uh, and slash have a Conflict 47 army. Uh, if you have not looked at the new Conflict 47 book, Resurgence, which dropped, God, I guess maybe three or four months ago, um, mm. it totally updates the Conflict 47 rule set and really makes it pretty damn exciting. Um, it A lot of complaints about Conflict 47 when it came out was that it sort of it was reliant very heavily on the first edition of Bolt Action, and then within a couple of months of um, Conflict coming out, Bolt Action version 2 came out. And so people were saying, oh, the rules are kind of archaic and blah, blah, blah. But if you actually look at the Resurgence rules, they really make it an interesting uh, game. And it's it's sort of uh, aligned, tangentially aligned to Bolt Action um, in that they use most of the same mechanics and mechanisms, but there are some subtle differences that really make it an exciting rule set to play. So if you're ever looking for a game, I'm your man. I'd, I would love to. I've got a fully painted 1,000-point Soviet army that I managed to fully paint, then played one game with, and then it's just sat on my <laughs> shelf ever since. Probably it was about a year ago. Wow. Uh, but I really enjoyed the game, um, and I have a few more sort of reinforcements sitting there that could uh, you know, take the points limit up a bit. But, yeah, I definitely should pick that book up. I, well, we, 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 got we did get a copy for the studio at CanCon. And I Resurgence, just, did we? Yeah, yeah, I was just looking on the shelf behind oh, you, well, but I couldn't steal that off the shelf. There you yeah. go. And Defiance comes out in a couple of weeks, which is then the book after that where we get the Italians. So there you go. Viv has a German army and an American army sitting in a box somewhere partially assembled, so maybe that'll put the boot up <laughs> in two to get to get that done. <laughs> Well, here you go. I, I just I heard just just someone was talking, and I can't sure I'm not sure who it was, but they were saying that they have an Eastern Front table with six wonderful Knights of Dice buildings on it. Um, that maybe we could uh, yeah. play a game on at some point. Oh, that yeah, it might well, match a Soviet army that you might have, and I might have a a German army that might be a good. Uh, adversary yeah. for that i just oh, I, I can't think of who that was <laughs> I, I saw some pictures on facebook about that and i can't remember who it was in, in one of the... yeah i'm drawing a blank <laughs> don't know who is that yes um and i am painting up uh, a giant new walker for my german slash fins um which i can use either way so uh, if you would like to play i am your man anyway let's stop talking personal and start talking other games um scott i can't help but notice 
your beautifully uh, converted uh, dark Luke for uh, Star Wars Legion. Um, would you like to talk to us? Because uh, one of the things that we've seen from Star Wars Legion right out of the gate is a lot of people um, playing sort of stock standard looking lists. Um, some people are trying some funny things like Pimp Vader or um, My Little Kitty Vader. Um, but you I've did something. I've seen probably three or four Pimp Vaders. It's yeah, a, it's a, a weirdly uh, persistent uh, <laughs> yes. trope. I don't know where it's come from. <laughs> It's a little disturbing. Um, but you actually did something that was really exciting um, and a lot more canon um, than Hello Kitty Vader. Um, wh- why don't you tell us what you did? Because it looks awesome. Yeah, so uh, I, it, I, instead of using Vader for my Vader, I decided to uh, convert up a dark, dark side Luke. You know, nice. it's kind of a what if thing as if, you know, at the end of Jedi, he had have killed Vader and, and the Emperor and taken their place, basically. Um, just because I wanted to do something a bit different with my army. Um, so I used a, uh, a Warzone Resurrection model that I picked up actually before Legion even dropped. Mm-hmm. I picked it up at CanCon, I think, hmm. uh, that looked kind of Star Warsy. It seemed like it would be about the right scale because those, those models were kind of a bit on the tall side. Mm-hmm. And then once we got the box, it sort of worked out and just did a bit of a head swap. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I actually picked up Veers a few weeks ago and uh, gave him a head swap with a Mon Calamari head nice. uh, and turned him into Dark Akbar. So, um I'm sticking with that theme. I love it. I love it. The so when you got the Mon Calamari head, was that from Gadzooks? It it sure was. Yeah. I uh, I was looking at um, Shapeways and Thingiverse, and there's a lot of really interesting 3D print um, Legion miniatures that are sort of coming to the fore now. And yeah, yeah um, we were looking at those earlier. Oh. Yeah, we were just talking about it today. Yeah, there's um, is it Mel's miniatures? Um, he did. Yeah, that's the one. I have some of his uh, Star Wars Armada stuff, and it is so beautiful and so detailed. Um, and you can find it uh, for those wondering on Shapeways. Um, oh wait, yeah, it is definitely his Armada stuff that I'm picking up. Um, and I got um, because it's Arctic Skunk that I buy my GI Joe stuff through. So it's definitely Mel's miniatures that I get the Star Wars Armada stuff through. Um, he has done. Uh, a couple of units of 12 battle droids, um, as in from episode one, two, three. Now, as much as I'm into goofy kids characters saying Roger, <laughs> Roger, and shooting at each other, um, if you watch some of the Star Wars, uh, what was it, the Clone Wars television series, yep. man, they get brutal and they get dark fast. Um, they, they just don't care. They just walk in ranks and die. Um, and just looking at those and looking at all the stormtroopers I have to paint and then realizing that the way I paint desert vehicles, I could probably paint an entire army of those in like 15 minutes going, <laughs> Oh, do I just run them as stormtroopers um, is, or snow troopers? Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Were you, so were you having similar thoughts? Because man, those look great. Well, this, this is the reason that I painted my stormtroopers black because there was no way I was painting an entire army of white stormtroopers as, as, as cool as that would look, there's yeah. just no way. So I, yeah, I did them black. I've actually have a little bit of highlighting to do on my last stormtrooper. I have five units of them. And then 
and, and a little bit of highlighting on my last four speeder bikes. Mm-hmm. And then all my Legion stuff is painted. So that's pretty exciting. <sighs> so um, I haven't got any snow troopers yet, though. So I need to pick those up. Yeah, you do. Because uh, they look so good. It was pretty amazing. I thought I'd get my uh, my Rebel Troopers painted pretty quickly because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they'd just be, you know, the same as, you know, like a you know, DAC inspired or, you know, a modern mm-hmm. soldier, khaki, a wash, they'll be done. But, you know, you know, there was a little bit more work involved in those when, uh, yeah. when that, uh, you know, I was, I was quite envious of Scott's, you know, you know, very simple, but, you know, very effective on his, his uh, um, storm. But, you know, I'm sitting, I've painted five Rebel Troopers, Scott's painted 30. Yeah. Yeah, the Rebel stuff, um, I love the look of the Rebel squads for Legion, but there was some, um, I, I'm one of the things that I'm really pedantic about is mold lines, and there were some really subtle mold lines. I don't know, I haven't put together the Imperial stuff yet, but some of the Rebel stuff, uh, I had to go back through with the fine tooth comb, and the I usually clear flash off with the back of a an exacto knife, um, like not the, the the sharp bit, the back of it, and I scrape things off. Um, I for some reason the plastic that was in that particular whatever FFG is using, it doesn't scrape well, and so yeah. I spent a lot of time cutting. And then trying to smooth out because I'd cut maybe a divot where I didn't need to. And then trying not to cut somebody's arm off or my finger off in the process. Um, and so it took a long time. And in the process, I also was trying to do lots of, um, you know, head swap, arm swap, um, you know, torso re- you know, repositions to try and get the, you know, some variety in my rebel troops. But uh, yet, man, assembly, assembling those just took forever. Um I really, as I joked around on a, on a past podcast, I'm looking forward to the Imperials. I don't care if all my stormtroopers are in the same five poses. It's fine. They're stormtroopers. I don't care. The rebels, <laughs> they all need to look different. Um, but with battle droids, I really don't care. Um, they're all supposed to stand the same way. Quick, do it. Um, so I'm trying to rationalize that to myself right now. But they look really good. Um, and I was looking at the, uh, the K, it was a K-19 from... Um, is that what the the number the the from Rogue One the K two S O yeah K two S O I don't know why I was thinking K nineteen um, submarine Russia anyway K two S O get um, get one of those as my veers and just go oh god yes that would be good yeah that model looks really nice yeah it does look great have you guys read any of the new Star Wars comic books that have been around I haven't but I heard they're really good. Um, yeah, yeah, I heard that Marvel did a re- has been doing a really great job with them. Yeah, um, I've been meaning to check them out, but I mean, there's just so many hours in the day. Amen to that. Um, I did pick up a few of the graphic novels for Vader, and in one of them, he commands. Uh, he can't trust the Emperor for a reason I'm not going to get into spoilers, and he decides to raid an Imperial installation, and in the process, he needs an army that will be loyal to him while attacking the Empire, so he activates a droid army, and so it's Vader with an army of droids walking behind him, and you just go, oh, I suddenly have my Legion army right there, right there! Quick, yeah, that, give that it to sounds me. really cool. Ugh. You just I think you'd be pretty yeah. safe uh, with, you know your droid army clashing with sort of an official FFG one. I think it'll be a, probably a while before they get around to the prequel era, if ever. 
Yeah, agreed. Um, although they do, they have put in droids are going to be in the rules, but I think we're probably going to get something more along the lines of um, R2, uh, 3PO, and hopefully IG-88 before too long. Yeah, uh, IG-88 would be great. Yeah. Yep. Oh, God. So we've all, all four of us, oh, sorry, all three of us, I'm looking at the dog as if he's part of this as well. Uh, for those who don't know, there is an unofficial silent member of this podcast, my co-host, Jim, who is currently scratching on the bed, and I'd wish he'd stop. Um, uh, we've all sort of played a bunch of uh, three by three games. So we played half size games at this point. Um, gentlemen, what are your sort of feelings about the Legion rules so far? Because uh, I got some feels, um, but I'm curious to hear yours. Scott's played a few more games than I have. I played one more game than you have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I really, so, you know, I've only played a handful of games, so there's still plenty of, you know, stuff to explore. Mm. But from the, from the small games that I've played, I really appreciated the simple mechanics. Yeah. I, I've never been someone who's able to read, you know, a rule book that's, you know, more than a couple of pages and understand the game and be able to play it. Right. Um, and when I was reading through, you know, they give you the little quick start, you know, book in the, in mm -hmm. the rules. Um, you know, I've never been a big fantasy flight gamer in the past. You know, it was kind of a little bit difficult to get my head around, you know, all the different icons and symbols and stuff on the car mm -hmm. in the, in the quick start rules. And, you know, it, it kind of didn't make sense to me. Until somebody showed me the game and I was like, is that it? Yeah. Really? Okay. Well, yeah. It's yeah. Pretty clean. Yeah. yeah. I, I can do that. I was just talking to someone uh, the other day or yesterday, actually, in the studio. Um, we were talking about, you know, exactly the same thing. I said that the game's mechanics are very, very simple and quick and easy to learn. Um, but there's enough complexity involved in the game and in, in, in the various units that, you know, give it its depth. Right. And I, I really appreciate that in a game. You know, I don't want to sit there for, you know, three hours trying to play a game and spend, you know, a good quarter of that looking up rules in a rule book. Um, I just want to be able to, you know, understand the mechanics so I can play the game and then slowly absorb new stuff as the new stuff is being released. And I guess that's what's great about mm. Legion at the moment. You know, it hasn't been around for 20 years. There's not 20 years of stuff to absorb and try and understand my faction, your faction, this faction, etc. Right. It's not in, at the beginning and have a game that has those cool, simple mechanics um, and, and, you know, see that grow. That's something I appreciate about the release, release schedule as well mm. is that uh, the units are sort of trickling out and it gives you kind of a, a good amount of time to get your head around what those units do before, instead of being overwhelmed by choices, mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. Um, something else I really appreciated about the game is that I really like the, the command card mechanic. Yes. Um, I, I, I never, I've never played X-Wing. I don't know if there's a similar system in there or anything like that. I haven't no. played Rune Wars either. Um, but I really like, I really like that mechanic and sort of the, that this, it's kind of a resource you've got to manage and, and, the, and the, the sort of blind flip. And um, mm -hmm. I, thought, I thought that it was really cool. Yeah, and that really whole, sort of that whole, changes up the way it turns. Uh, yeah. That whole bidding process. Though, uh, and I know some other people have talked about the game within the game. And I think that's absolutely true. But it, you know, sometimes if you're playing bolt action, for example, and that's where I often go to as my wheelhouse of, um, you know, prior knowledge, uh, you may really want to get that first dice out of the bag, so to speak. You want to be to get that unit first. So you go and you know what you can get and you, you're desperate for it. But with the, um, with, the, with that whole, the, if you bid and, 
oh, do I do I try and use my card to go first, knowing that mm. I that I can't do it later? Um, but my opponent may have a card that cancels that out or equals mine. Oh, is he going to try and do it now? So it's that whole trying to not only think about what would behoove you, but then look at your opponent through your opponent's eyes at the same time and sort of figure out what they're doing. And it really, there's that, again, it's a simple mechanic, but because of the way that it's built, you actually spent, at least I've spent a lot of time in the games I'm playing, like really thinking about, uh, what am I going to do now? Now, I'm sure that'll speed up for me over time, but um, I'm sure also the more I play, when I get to those critical moments, the more I'm probably going to turn myself into knots going, What's, well, I would do this, but he would do this, and then I would do this, and he would do yeah. this. And meanwhile, my opponent's going, I'm going to pay the one that has three on it. And I'm going, but, but why did you do that? Um, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to love it. And it's just um, any game that uh, you know gets me frothing at the mouth with a simple mechanic is you know, is great in my mind. Um, it, and it's a nice, clean rule set. Um, Viv, as you said, I also read the rules when it came out. I mean, I, I sort of gleaned a lot of how the game worked. And I thought it was, you know, it, it looked fairly complex and robust. But I was like, is this too complex? And then I actually watched it being played and played it myself and went, oh, this makes, this is actually really simple. Um, but then I went back to read the rules. Um, and by going back, it, it, it isn't necessarily that the rules have a ton to them or they're necessarily super um, dense. I mean, it's like 30 pages of rules, or I guess 40, but the way it's laid out is very clearly and systematically laid out as yeah. almost flowchart um, in structure so that you, you get a feel... I guess as you play, if you ever get into a rules dispute with your opponent, you can very clearly say, no, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And if there is a rule, unlike some rule sets where you might go, now what, where are the rules for flamethrowers again? Wait, are the snipers under special rules? Are they under weapons? Like, how does that work? In Legion, it's all keyworded. So, yeah, you, you, yeah. yeah. I love that. It's great. I, right. Yeah, I love that. I was looking through, you know, they've got the, um, I can't remember what it's called, the, you know, their big rule book, the online mm -hmm. one, the living book. And um, I, I love the fact that, you know, A, it's digital so they can update it easily. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can just click on something and it and it leads you to the next section and, you know, yeah, that's, that's got really all the keywords underneath it. And you're like, well, actually, that's what I'm interested in. It links you over there. You know, it just makes it super easy. You know, as, as you were just explaining, you know, the, the wording of it, and, you know, you see these discussions on Facebook, someone asking a, a question, how does blah, blah, blah work? Mm -hmm. um, and then you see people, you know, responding, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. You know, it reminds me a lot of War Machine in the, you know, uh, you know first edition War mm -hmm. Machine that, you know, it was specifically worded and in, in such a way that, you know, you couldn't have, you know, these weird disputes about, oh, well, what does that actually mean? Written, worded out very Exactly. You know, it just, it just makes it enjoyable, an enjoyable process when you get rules that are like that and presented in that digital format. It just makes it, you know, it, it adds in, you know, this is weird, but it adds experience because there's nothing worse, at least for me, you know, for me personally, you know, I play miniature games to, you know, absorb myself or disappear into the miniature fantasy world. 
where, you know, I can forget about everything that's happening around me, play on a beautiful looking table with some great miniatures and enjoy a game with, you know, my friends. And nothing pulls you out of that faster than flipping back and forward, back and forward, yep. back and forward for a rule book going, where the hell are the rules for flamethrowers? And why are they mentioned in six different paragraphs and six different sections? Um, I might be wrong, but uh, are the, the, the special rules are mostly on the back of the cards too, aren't they? Yes. So you can just flip your card over, and that's really nice too to just have it right there. Mm. It is. I, I do I do think it it bears mentioning though that that living rule book is so key and it's I know a lot of people mentioned it when the game first came out, but it hasn't really been mentioned since. It is revolutionary to have that uh, to have the 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 core living rule book. It not the learn how to play quick guide that the game comes with. The game itself doesn't come with the rules. It comes with the a very short guide on how to basically play with the contents of the box. But if you want to play the full rules of the game, you have to go to the website. You download them for free. But it means that any time that FFG want to update the game, they don't need to put out a second core game. They literally yeah. update the file, change the date on the cover, done. Yeah, it, yeah. it's awesome. It's a really, it's a really great idea. And and most people have a tablet or a phone, so it's easy. You can just carry the book around with you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think I think it's a really good idea, and it's 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 probably the way most games should go. Yeah. Well, I mean, there there are a lot of games out there nowadays where you can get the rules free online, but mm. you know most of the ones that I've seen have just been a simple PDF. Right. Now, yes, you can search in a PDF, but you know it's kind of the same as just searching through a rule book. Mm -hmm. You know, I put in my search term up in the little search box, and you know it finds that expression on however many pages you know what i've found really different and uh you know what i've really appreciated in the the uh the star wars legion rules is all that linking that happens in the documents i don't know how much of that happens in in other books or by other companies but you know it's the first time that i've come across a book where i've read a paragraph and gone i wonder how that relates to abc and it's right there yeah and you click on that section and it takes you to that section and you're like you know, this kind of kind of sounds like we're we're talking about you know early two thousand web design, <laughs> right? Um, but you know, if, I guess in some ways that's exactly what it is. But it's been used in this context absolutely perfectly. Agreed, agreed. And it it just the way it all comes together. I mean, it was a little daunting the first time I sat down to play because I was trying to play out of the main rules. Um, you know, I guess it, part of me was like, I'm an experienced war gamer. I don't need to use the quick start rules. Um, yeah, no. Um, so I was trying to, then this happens, then this happens, and then this happens. And, I, and while that really helps clarify rules questions later, when you're trying to play it for the first time, boys and girls, use the quick start guide. Um, yeah. 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 There's a few wonderful YouTube videos about how to play Star Wars Legion. Um, I think one of them is actually called How to Play and then Star Wars Legion. And if um, I think it's a Canadian guy uh, in yeah, a polo yeah, shirt. Yeah, he's a great channel. Yeah, he's Love a great channel. channel. He did a wonderful job of explaining how to play the game. And then he got a made over. And over the course of, I think, three or four episodes, they played a full game of Legion. And they, but they actually talked their way through the game. And it was yeah. great. And I really enjoyed that. Um, when the game first dropped and I was traveling and I was trying to figure out how to how to play. Um, uh, more recently, I've been watching, as he was on the last episode of this podcast, I was playing, uh, or uh, sorry, I was watching Steve 
McLaughlin, our old buddy from WWPD and um, the Intensified Ford Firepower podcast, the old Armada cast. He's got a Twitch channel and he's watching or so he's playing tons of Legion at the moment. Um, and those games, I'm again, I'm learning tons by watching him. And uh, I'm watching this while I'm painting my stuff in preparation for my big first Legion event uh, in a week and a half at Good Games Melbourne. 26th, uh, if you're in town, 26th of what month are we in? God, May. Um, <laughs> May. May. Uh, yeah, man. A couple days after Solo drops. Come on down to Good Games, um, and oh, man, I cannot wait. Uh, and a bunch of your terrain, gentlemen, is going to be on the tables because I am providing uh, several tables of terrain for that event, and Sandport Hydra will be very prominently displayed. Awesome. I'll have That's to come down tonight. and have a look. They've got a new store there now, too, and I haven't seen that. So Yeah, it's uh, really good. Yeah, I've heard it's a great space to, for gaming now, so I'll have to come down and have a look. Yep. Um, I ran an event there a couple weeks. God. Time's getting away from me. A month or so ago, um, Operation Wolf. Um, yeah. And I'm in the process of writing the player pack for Operation Brumbar, or as they say back at home, Operation Bear, um, which will be July 1st, uh, which will be another bolt action event, which will be shooting again, once again, to do something a little different. Uh, but I will definitely be having more of your terrain on that table, on those tables, because. Uh, I keep buying it, and uh, I yeah, it's awesome. So that's, that's good. So please, please keep buying it. Yeah, that uh, that helps us afford more hot pot. <laughs> yes, more dainty Sesuan, which is right around the corner from Good Games Melbourne. My might add. Well, I guess not around the corner. It's like a block and a half. But you know, when you're this in the city, everything's right around the corner. Um, well, guys, um, I, I I hate to say it, our time is kind of wrapping up. Um, before we go though, um. What, what, anything else you'd like to say? Oh, before we go any further, if you haven't Googled at this point in this episode, Knights of Dice, spelled K-N-I-G-H-T-S, Knights of Dice, um, search them up. They are an Australian-based company. They do ship worldwide, and it is worth the cost of shipping. Their stuff is awesome, and that is from someone who has, God, I believe like 11 of your buildings now, um... And several of your figure cases and a ton of your pin markers. Uh, I've got a ton of your your stuff. Uh, I'm, a, I'm kind of a fan, I think you might say. Um, That's awesome. So, gents, uh, what, I'll start with you, Vib. Um, anything that you would like to say before we roll out this fine evening or anything that's really sort of grabbing you in the, the, uh, the game industry these days? Or what's on your mind? Oh, too too much, Brad. We could sit here for another hour and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just so much. I was saying to Scott uh, earlier today that uh, I need to start clearing out some of my stuff because I you know, just don't use it. But there's there's so much stuff out there that you know I can't stop myself from buying it. It sits on the shelf for six months, and I'm like, I'm never going to do anything with that. I've just I've just got to clear it out. Yeah. So you know what what grabs me absolutely everything. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what, what would I like to spend more time doing and you know i want to play more bolt action you know that's mm -hmm. why i'm coming along on the weekend nice i want to play more star wars legion um you know obviously one of our main lines sandport hydra is you know is pretty much built for that game that um you know i want to play more uh star wars legion um things that i want to do at the moment but you know every time i walk into you know where all my miniatures are kept i'm like oh yeah i want to get back into you know some hell caesar mm -hmm. or in her majesty's name 
oh yeah, I should pick up you know Saga, and um, you know one of twenty different rule books sitting on the shelf behind Scott here. Mm-hmm. Gates of Antares, I'd love to you know finish painting my Boromites. Um, it's just you know it's a never-ending journey, Brad, and uh, I love every minute of every day that we're involved in it. I just wish we had more designers that could pump out more stuff faster. I hear, amen, brother, amen, and uh, more time in the day to play slash make it. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Right on, Scott. How about you, man? Um, yeah, not much more to say. I, uh, thanks very much for having us on and being so kind about our products. We take a lot of pride in it. Uh, love working on it. It's a real, really good time coming to work every day, which is you know I'm very lucky, very lucky that Viv sort of. Uh, invested in my skills and um yeah if people haven't seen our stuff check it out if you want i don't know i'm not your boss so (laughs) (laughs) right on well i i don't think it's a matter of me being kind it's a matter of me just being a fan i mean it's not it's just it's you just it's it's a high quality product um it's locally produced um it's it's easy to like man i mean it's good so yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Always great to hear. You know, we do put a lot of time and effort into it, and you know, it's appreciated. Hit us up on our website, knightsofdice.com. Check us out on Facebook. Yeah, if you're at a show, uh, what's the next one? Is Wintercon next? No, Little Wars. For us. Little oh, yeah, Wars we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll, we'll be at Little, Little, Wars. Little Wars in a few weeks, and I think it is. Wintercon in July in Canberra. Yes, come say hi if you're at any of those shows. Um, Moab later in the year, too. Moab yeah. in Sydney. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm hoping to make it to Moab myself, so maybe we'll have to throw back a tasty beverage at that event. If not, uh, I think CanCon is definitely going to happen. So, well, that or we could grab a Deity Szechuan a little bit closer to home. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Wonderful. Well, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I've said this before and I will say it again. Um, Podcasting does not cost money for you to come and listen to this podcast but uh time is a commodity and more that I, the more i do this and the more that i play these games the more i realize how precious a commodity that is um i do honestly want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to listen to this podcast i do realize that there are about a million awesome podcasts out there and i'm listening to about half of them um but i do appreciate uh your patronage and the fact that you took the time to listen to us tonight um i'm hoping that a little a little look behind baseball here a little behind baseball um I we've had a little Skype issue with this particular episode. I'm hoping that I'm able to clear that up in post production. If not, um, I I beg your forgiveness. Um, it Skype, you know, sometimes in Australia is I have the best internet connection money can buy down here, but uh, sometimes uh, Australians' internet is literally a, a rusty tin can with a string attached, as the as we talked about off air before we began tonight. Um, we do the best we can. So again, I thank you for your time and your patience. Um, but I guess uh, we should uh, we should say goodnight in our usual customary way. I hope that your beverages are ice cold, and I hope that your dice are rolling red hot. But more than anything, as long as you're playing these games, I hope you're having fun. Ladies and gentlemen, good night. the day.
And the track by hungry hounds, the movie's gone. And the terrible 